Evening, everybody. <clears throat> Had a off last week I had uh, the creeping yuck and Roger did a great job going in for me and then he got it and I say he did not get it from me though so, yeah. um, so praise God he's back up and rolling too uh, but we're going to pick up again we're in Isaiah 65 tonight so we're, we're in the home stretch here um, so a couple weeks ago in chapter 64 uh, we saw Isaiah was praying on behalf of Israel, of uh, the people of Israel, you know, they they were feeling like, um, you know, that justice was just never going to come, and so he cries out, you know, God, rend the heavens, King of Heaven, come down and 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 you know, make Your will on on earth as it is in heaven. Right? Come down and make all things right. And that's something that probably a lot of us have felt at some point, right? Like, God, how long are you going to let this injustice happen? Or, or when are you going to, you know, just set these people straight or, or whatever, you know? And so he was praying that kind of stuff. Um, and he looks around and he, and he says, you know, we've all sinned. Uh, and even our good works are like filthy rags. So even the, the things that look good on the outside are still defiled by our hearts, is basically what Isaiah was saying. And, you know, he says, we brought this on ourselves, but we're calling on God to remember <laughs> his people. Is that your hearing aid, Brian? What's just going on over there? Okay. <laughs> so he, uh, he says, you know, I, I realize we brought this on ourselves, but God, uh, we're calling you to remember Remember that we're your people. And, and he basically says, will you be silent forever? And that's where it left off. So we pick up in chapter 65, and God answers those questions that Isaiah is posing. So before we get into it, though, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll ask God to help us understand it. Lord, we thank you this evening for uh, allowing us to be here, blessing uh, us to be able to have the health to leave our homes and gather together, and uh, for the miracles of uh, modern technology, there are people that are, are not here in person who are able to uh, still be with us online and, and hear your word. Uh, Lord, we thank you most of all for that, that, uh, that uh, you preserved this word for us. We can look into it and see how your plan has played out through the centuries. Uh, and Lord, we, uh, we just pray tonight that you help us to understand it. This is a book that very often isn't preached through because it is hard to understand. And so we just pray that you would give us uh, discernment, help us to understand uh, your word, and through it to understand you better and who you can be in and through you. Uh, we thank you uh, for your blessing. Thank you for your son. And we pray that you do Amen. <coughs> so Isaiah 65, verse 1. This is God answering Isaiah. He says, I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here am I, here am I, to a nation which did not call on my name. 
I have spread out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in the way which is not good, following their own thoughts. We're going to kind of break that down a little bit. But, uh, as I was studying this, um, I was reminded there's a little book that I, I read every year or two uh, by A.W. Tozer. It's called The Pursuit of God. Um, and it's, there's, it's for such a small book, it's just packed full of amazing truths and wisdom. Um, and it just kind of got me thinking about this, this text. So we've got a little quote here. With, uh, he says this in, in the pursuit of God. He says, God must do everything for us. Our part is to yield and trust. God must do everything for us. Our part is to yield and trust. I bring that up because as the Psalms say, in Psalm 3, verse 8, it says this. It says, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Um, <coughs> people like to tie themselves in knots arguing about you know what it is you have to do or know to be saved. And, and Jesus made it really clear. He says, he who believes has eternal life. Right? He who beholds the Son, who believes, has eternal life. But still, people get it kind of twisted and turned around, and you have to be one of the special elect to be saved and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is, the Bible tells us that salvation belongs to the Lord. It's all about Him. And I bring this up because what translation of the Bible you think Abraham had? There wasn't one, right? Now, I'm not saying that the Bible is not important, but Abraham believed somehow, because God made it possible somehow. Uh, and there are these amazing reports coming out of the, the uh, Arabic world, the Muslim world, of these Muslims who are having dreams and visions of Jesus. They don't have a Christian Bible because they're outlawed, but somehow they are coming to faith in Jesus. It's amazing. It's, it's just weird. There's, look it up. There's like this big surge of this stuff going on all around the world. And basically, what we see in Scripture is that God is pursuing you. He's pursuing you. We'll read verse 1 again, Isaiah 65, verse 1. It says, I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. And that word sought, it, it actually means uh, to resort to. Right? He says, I allowed people who thought of me as like the last straw or the, you know, their last resort to still come to faith in me. I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here am I, here am I, to a nation, and this word here, it's, it's goy, it's, it means um, people who are far from God, right? Non-Jews, people that don't know him already. Uh, he says, I, you know, here am I, here am I, to a nation which did not call on my name. Paul uses these 
couple of verses in Romans 10, verse 20 and 21, when he talks about how God dealt with the Gentiles, the people who um, you know, were not Jews, and how God made a way for us to, to you know, be uh, part of his, his plan and be able to spend eternity with him. But basically what we see is that, uh, you know, the, the Jews had this, they, you know, they were really proud of being Jews. And, you know, they kind of thought they had the market cornered on how to have eternal life. And God says, yes, you're my people, but you're not the only people who are my people. And the Bible tells us multiple places. It says that he put you in this place, uh, in that family, in this time, to give you the best opportunity to come to know Him. Like, it's not just happenstance. It's not, it's not just chance. Paul actually expounds on this in Acts, uh, chapter 17, is where, you know, he's <coughs> on Mars Hill and, and he's talking about the there's all these altars to different gods and, and the, the Greek people they even had one altar to the unknown god in case we missed that okay? you know, just, just in case and he says well I know this one I know which god this is and so they gather around to hear what he says and he says this in verse 24 he says the god who made the world and all things in it since he is lord of heaven and earth does not dwell in temples made with hands nor is he served by human hands as though he needs anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their what? Their appointed time and the boundaries of their habitation. Right? God determined when you would live and where you would live. Verse 27 that they would seek God. If perhaps they might just grope for Him and find Him, though He's not far from each one. That word grope means exactly what you think. When you walk into a dark room and you just kind of stick your hands up trying to find the light switch. Now Jesus goes on, He says in John 6, that no one comes to salvation except those who are drawn by the Father. And the word he uses is the word you use for dragging a, a you know, a net out of the out of the water, right? You're actually kind of dragged to him. But he won't drag you over the line. Well I, I used to coach uh, football years ago and I remember there was this one that was like youth football and there was this team that was <laughs> we played that um, they did all all kinds of weird, tricky stuff that basically would cause penalties. You know. and, um, and so they did all these things, and our, you know, our kids just weren't prepared. It's penalty after penalty, and the ball just keeps moving closer and closer to the goal line. But they couldn't score because there is no penalty that will get the ball over the goal line. At some point, you have to run the ball, right? You have to be able to run a play, and, and they couldn't do that. Um, and God, you know, God has worked on you, but He won't push you over the goal line, right? He gives you that choice. So he's, he's done everything He can 
to bring you to him, but he still leaves you the option, if that makes any sense. A little bit further down in this same chapter, Acts 17, verse 30, Paul says this, he says, Therefore, <clears throat> having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent and change their minds. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. So that you know the Bible tells us that there's there's one name under heaven by which men are saved. And God is calling all men everywhere to change their minds about that name, about Jesus. Right? To look at him and change your mind about him. So if you're listening to this message, if you're here or on you know, online or whatever, uh, you may not appreciate it, but some pretty extraordinary events had to have taken place in your life to get you to a place where you would be open to hearing that message. Uh, and, you know, if you're here in person, some really weird things have happened in your life to get you to church on a Wednesday, right? You're a weirdo. Yeah. No, that God has, has orchestrated events in your life to get you to a point to be able to hear that message. Uh, you know, God the Father, He uses circumstances in your life to make you think about eternal things. The Bible tells us that He has bound up eternity in our hearts. That's the... I think that's, you know, the, when the Bible talks about uh, man has the breath of life, you know, that's the thing that separates us but it also, from all animals. Um, but it also says that, you know, he put eternity in our hearts, a concept of eternity. I kind of wonder if that isn't what the breath of life is, you know. The, the, the knowledge that you are finite, you know, and that there is more to this uh, universe than just this life. But anyway, so he's, he's um, used circumstances in your life to make you think about those things. Then the Holy Spirit, uh, the Bible tells us that he woos us, like he, he romances our heart, right? He, he, he uh, pulls at your heart. And then Jesus says, here am I. You know, look at me and decide for yourself. Change your mind about it. So I know I'm kind of pounding this, um, but which is it, right? Does, does God pursue us, or do we pursue Him? Uh, is He sovereign, or do we have free will? And the answer is yes. It's all of those. He is all-knowing and all-powerful, and yet still gives you free will. I don't understand that. But that is the reality. Again, from uh, the pursuit of God, this is what A.W. Tozer said. He said, God will not hold us responsible to understand the mysteries of election, predestination, and the divine sovereignty. Those are some of the, the cool theological words that get thrown around about this stuff. You know, if God has foreknowledge, does that mean he made the thing happen and that kind of stuff? 
sacrifices. God will not hold us responsible to understand the mysteries of election, predestination, and the divine sovereignty. The best and safest way to deal with these truths is to raise our eyes to God and in deepest reverence say, O Lord, Thou knowest. Those things belong to the deep and mysterious, profound of God's omniscience. Trying into them may make theologians, but it will never make sense. So we can get ourselves kind of twisted and not trying to understand this infinite truth with our finite minds. Um, but here's what we know. That God has put, He's put in all sorts of work, uh, getting you where to, where you are, um, and He's near, not far. He wants to be known, uh, and He has drawn you to Himself. He's at the door, but He won't kick the door in. You know? um, so that may seem like a little bit of a, a side track, but this verse in Isaiah 65, we'll go back to it again, verse one. There's a lot going on in this one verse. Right? Isaiah has just poured his heart out to God, and saying, oh, you know, you've forgotten about us, we're your people, and all this stuff. And God says, I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask me. I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here am I, here am I, to a nation which did not call on my name. Remember, Isaiah is crying out, Lord, don't hide from us. Don't forget us. And God says, I'm not hiding. People are finding me who aren't even trying. So if you feel far from me, I'm not the one that has moved. Right? I haven't moved away from you. In Hebrews 11, uh, verse 6, says this about how faith works, but it says, without faith it is impossible to please him. <clears throat> For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so God has just told Isaiah, people are finding me who aren't even trying to find me. And so if God can be found by people who aren't looking, how much more will he because he wants to be found by those who seek him. Right? He says, I, I want to reward you. I want you to know me. I want you to be closer to me. And I reward that. So don't think for a second that I'm trying to stay away from you. Right? Or that I'm trying to keep people out of heaven on technicalities. Or because they you know, were in the wrong denomination or whatever. Isaiah 65 verse 2 says, I have spread out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in the way which is not good, following their own thoughts. A people who continually provoke me to my face, offering sacrifices in gardens and burning incense on bricks. <laughs> so he's reminding Israel, hey, you've been complaining that I'm far from you while you've been just worshiping at every pagan altar you can find. Verse 4, who sit among graves and spend the night in secret places, who eat swine's flesh, and the broth of unclean meat is in their pot. So he's, you know, he's referring to there were dietary laws in the Old Testament, foods that they were not supposed to eat, foods that were clean and unclean. 
And he reminds them, hey, you who are so full of yourselves of how righteous you are, you're not even following even the dietary law. Um, now, some people still get this twisted today. Dietary laws, uh, they had some practical application uh, back in the Old Testament. Uh, you know, it was fairly recently that pork was safe to eat. You know? um, but they were, for the most part, not really about that. It was about teaching this concept of holiness, right, of, of difference, of you know, setting things aside denying yourself because God says so. That's really what it was about. In Mark 7, Jesus says that it's not the food that defiles you, right? It's, it's what's going on in your heart. And then in Acts 10, when Peter has this moment where God, you know, lowers all this food down in front of him and it's filled with a bunch of unclean food, and, and he tells Peter, go kill and eat. And Peter's like, surely not, Lord. You know, I, I'm, I'm too righteous for that. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice of God speaks to him a second time. and says, don't call anything impure that, that I've made for you. Right? If I say you can eat it, you can eat it. So, you know, if anybody ever gives you a hard time about whether you eat bacon or, or you... I'd go to church on a Saturday or a Sunday or, um, or Wednesday. But yeah. um, well, Paul said this about it. Colossians 2, verse 16. Just, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. The substance belongs to Christ. All of those things were just things that God put in place for a time to teach us about Jesus. And when Jesus came, those things don't matter uh, like they once did. So anyway, so uh, Isaiah's, you know, uh, representing a group of people who are really full of spiritual pride. And God's like, you're so full of yourself, yet you're doing all of these things. Verse 5, Isaiah 55, verse 5, he says, You say, Keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am holier than you. These are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. He says, You know, who are you, Isaiah, to, uh, to judge me? I am holier than you. Right? That, that's how the, the people were after. And God says, Nothing smells worse to me basically, than self-righteousness or hypocrisy. In Luke 18, Jesus gives us this account. We've talked about this a few times uh, over the last month or so. He says this in verse 10. He says, uh, Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Can you imagine if you're at church and, you know, Kevin got up to pray and he said, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like Roger <laughs> or whoever, <laughs> you know, just called someone out. 
you know, I, I thank you that I'm righteous, unlike that dude, right? That's basically what's happening. Uh, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. He was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. These people in Isaiah's time are, are, you know, they're saying, you know, keep, keep to yourself. Don't come near me because I'm so holy. Right? I'm better than you. And they're kind of saying that to God, that God, we know better than you. you know, remember, we're your people. You need to come through for us because we're so special. You know, you can't, you're not supposed to pick and choose what you believe, but we do that, right? We think, well, I know better than, I know better than God on this one. You know, that one's old-fashioned. Or, or uh, that was just a cultural thing. He didn't really mean what he said. When we do that, it burns God's nose. Isaiah 65, verse 6. <clears throat> it says, Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silence, but I will repay. I will even repay into their bosom both their iniquities, uh, both their own iniquities and the iniquities of their fathers together, says the Lord, because they have burned incense on the mountains and scorned me on the hills. Therefore, I will measure their former works into their bosom. Thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one says, do not destroy it, for there is benefit in it. So I will act on behalf of my servants in order not to destroy all of them. That's a little confusing, but he basically gives this example of there are good grapes in the middle of all these bad ones. And some people would say, let's just destroy all of it. Right? And God says, no, I'll pick out the bad ones because there's always a remnant. Right? There's always, um, if you if you expect to only harvest big luscious grapes and never have any bad ones, uh, you're, you're going to be disappointed. In the same way, when you when you come to church, if you expect every person to be fully devoted to God and living clean and righteous lives and only uplifting and encouraging at all times, you'll be disappointed uh, because we're all a bunch of broken people. Right? The, the ones that have it all together don't. The ones that seem like they have it all together don't. They're the ones that, uh, that basically were uh, what Isaiah was referring to a little bit ago. Right? The people that seem like they have it all together are the ones that are you know, saying, I'm, I'm holier than you. And God's like, that's somebody that's not, uh, not following me like you think they are. Anyway, verse 9. He says, I will bring forth offspring from Jacob and an heir of my mountains uh, from Judah. Even my chosen ones shall inherit it, and my servants will dwell there. Sharon will be a pasture land of flocks, and the valley of Achor a resting place for herds for my people who seek me. And so he reminds them of the covenant he made through Moses. That you be my people, and I'll be your God. And I'll bless those who bless you, and curse those who curse you. 
So you're worried that I'm not going to come through on what I say I'm going to, you know, what I said I would do. I'll, I'm absolutely going to do that. Um, verse 11, But you who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, who set a table for fortune, and who fill cups with mixed wine for destiny. Now your Bible may uh, have fortune and destiny capitalized, because he's referring to a couple pagan gods, uh, which is just another name for pagan gods. And he says, you, you people who, you, you've tried to improve your luck through pagan worship. Right? Verse 12, he says, I will destine you for the sword, and all of you will bow down to the slaughter, because I called, but you did not answer. I spoke, but you did not hear, and you did evil in my sight, and chose that in which I did not delight. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, my servants will eat, you'll be hungry. Behold, my servants will drink, but you will be thirsty. Behold, my servants will rejoice, but you will be put to shame. Behold, my servants will shout joyfully with a glad heart, but you will cry out with a heavy heart. And you will wail with a broken spirit. You will leave your name for a curse to my chosen one, and the Lord God will slay you. But my servants will be called by another name. He who is blessed in the earth will be blessed by the God of truth. He who swears in the earth will swear by the God of truth, because the former troubles are forgotten, and because they are hidden from my sight. There's a bunch of stuff there. We're going to break down more of that next week. As when we get into verse 17, it really shifts. He starts talking about the, the last days and the kingdom and all that. But he said something there in verse 15. He says, My servant, he keeps doing this contrast. You know, my servants will do this, but you are going to do that. This is going to happen to my servants, but this is what's going to happen to you. He's talking to Israel. He says, my servants will be called by another name. You who think you are my the only people who are my people, my servants are actually going to be called by another name. And that came to fruition in, in Acts 11, verse 26, it says that the followers of Jesus began to be called what? Yeah, Christians. In Antioch, they were first called Christians. Is, you're so concerned with being better than everyone else, being holier than everyone else, and you don't even realize that I'm not keeping anybody out on technicality. My servants are the church. So when we get to verse 17, the Lord uh, turns his attention again, like I said, to the last days, uh, things yet even to come in our time. In the meantime, I'll just leave you with this question. Are you uh, answering when God calls? Uh, he says, I called and you did not answer. Uh, are, you, are you trusting in him and his plan? Or are you banking on luck and karma, right, or destiny and fortune, he called it. That, those were the, the big uh, signs of someone who's following him versus someone who's not. Right? Trust, are you trusting me, or are you trusting in just luck and chance and any, anything you can get your hands on? Um, are you actually listening when I talk, or are you busy talking? 
I think we'll leave it at that and uh, we'll, we'll dig into it. I think we've got probably one or at least probably two more messages in this in this book. We'll see. Uh, but for now, let's look at that. Lord, we thank you again for giving us uh, another opportunity to study your word. God, uh, there's so much here. It's so dense. Uh, and we just pray that you would uh, open our hearts to receive uh, the things that we got correct. Anything we got right tonight, Lord, help us to apply that and use it to, to draw us closer to you. Help us to be the type of servants that uh, that you spoke of here in your word, that the type that when you call, we answer, that we um, are trusting in you and, and not our own plans. Lord, anything we got incorrect, we just pray you wipe that from our minds, replace it with uh, be able to come back and, and find the truth. God, we just uh, we pray tonight for anyone that that you've drawn to yourself, that you, you won't push them over that line. We just pray, Lord, that uh, they would see that, uh, that Jesus is who he says he is, that you paid for our sins for all time. And if we just simply trust you for eternal life, you give it. And you don't just want us to spend eternity with you. You want to spend every day with us here and now. And Lord, we just pray with us that they would put their faith in you and those of us that have done so, that we would continue to trust you and, uh, and not just have life, but have it about it. We pray these things in Jesus' holy precious name and we pray to come and come to Jesus. Amen. Alright, ready? Great. <laughs>